Cheersecast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Sammy, Sammy, listen, I went to see that house and it was perfect. I mean, listen to this. Me and the older kids could have rooms of our own. Oh. And there's this big kitchen with formica as far as the eye could see. <laughs> and there's grass, Sammy. I mean, can you imagine having grass of your very own to water and mow and lie down in naked any time you want? That's the American dream, all right? Yeah. Oh, 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 there's a fireplace. Finally, the kids oh. are going to have a place where they're supposed to start a fire. Uh-huh. <laughs> Knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. My name is Ryan Daly and here to discuss the 100th episode of Cheers, my fellow Fire and Water Network All-Star, the host of many a podcast, Siskoid. What's up, Siskoid? Number 100. Why have I chosen for this honor? Uh, I actually picked you for this episode before before I uh, realized it was the 100th episode. Um, Let's I, make it double length. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I, I picked this one for you because in, in certain past episodes, we've kind of talked about Carla. And this is a Carla-centric episode that for once doesn't really deal with her love life. And I think I think it's to the betterment for this episode. We actually delve into a different aspect of her character and her personality that we haven't seen a lot in the series up to this point, um, but we will later on. So uh, with that, are you ready to get into it? Let's go. All right. Season five, episode five, House of Horrors with formal dining and used brick. Definitely one of the longer titles for for the show. Uh, This episode was written by David Angel, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date, Thursday, October 30th, 1986. So in addition to being the 100th episode of the series, this is kind of like their Halloween episode for season five. As a mother of six, Carla is desperate to find a new house. But as a single mother of six on a waitress's pay, she can hardly afford anything. Meanwhile, Cliff starts a new mail route near the airport and finds a house for sale that's in Carla's price range. She checks it out and is so taken that she buys it on the spot. Only after the purchase does Norm reveal to the gang, and then to Carla, the house's sordid history, that it was built on the site of a 17th century prison graveyard where the the worst murderers were executed, vowing to come back from the dead and haunt whoever lives there. At first, Carla shakes off the bad news, but superstition gets the best of her, and she finds herself unable to move in. After some coaxing from Sam and Diane, Carla agrees to spend one night in the house to test her fears. Norm and Cliff show up to keep her company, but Norm bails at the first excuse. Cliff, feeling guilty for having recommended the house in the first place, as well as being lonely, stays with her. They make it through the night, but just before dawn, the house begins to shake and lights flood through the windows. Cliff recognizes the sound, though, as not the undead, but an airplane rerouted to a nearby runway because of foggy conditions. Carla, upon learning that the house was cheap because of its proximity to the airport and not the ghosts, is beyond relieved but ecstatic. 
All right, Siskoid, what did you think of House of Horrors with formal dining and used brick? Great title, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's, the kind of my, that's you know, a kind of title I, I really like. The reason I thought you invited me on this actually was, I, I thought, is it because he knows I was an exorcist in college? I was a house exorcist? Uh, because I've talked about this on an episode of Panel by Panel or something at one point. Um, <laughs> that, certainly... I, did, I did not think about that, though. No. <laughs> yeah, but it's true that, you know, people, <laughs> I had this way about me that I, I did not believe in the spirit world. And if I touched, if my finger touched a, uh, uh, a Ouija board during, a, let's call it a seance, you know, the, the, the glass or whatever would stop. So uh, in college, people would, have me come into their homes, their apartments, which they thought was haunted. I don't know why there was this, like this haunting epidemic at the time. <laughs> but a lot of people, like they, they learned, you know, whatever their apartment, somebody died in that apartment or whatever it was, or they played with the Ouija boards and a spirit kind of creeped them out. And, um, and so I would walk into these places and, and just go, this is my whole technique. I would just go, there's no ghosts here. Because they can't exist. You know, I, I don't believe in ghosts. So I'm going, there's no ghosts here. And then after that, they reported to me, these people reported to me that they had no further incidents of haunting after that, after I, I walked in. So I'm a, like a ghost killer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think you're like a weird, like, like secular Gabriel, the devil hunter meets Dr. 13. You're some weird, like yeah, a... Dr. 13 for sure. Um, and then how, the, how the... you didn't turn that into a million dollars is beyond me. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm really not. I'm really, I'm really not good at turning my ideas into businesses. So, but uh, no, I just would, it's insane that I would do this, but obviously it was just part of, you know, you're in college, you're trying to find yourself, you're trying to be cooler than you actually are. And you're making these, you're creating a mystique around yourself. So uh, that was part of it. And uh, I know that I talked about the, there was a panel by panel where we talked about horror and stuff, which when, when shag came to new Brunswick, so it's shag and shotgun and bass and beam. <laughs> uh, and then I told this story and the story ends with me going to a pagan, well, crafting a pagan ritual on the beach where we would burn all these possessed Ouija boards. And, uh, and I was there to, to make sure that like the spirits couldn't exist during the ceremony. And so they couldn't follow us home. <laughs> I believe in none of this, obviously, but if it, you know, it was playing like this uh, psychosomatic game on the other people who were very superstitious for some reason. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's not the reason you invited me on this, but it, it might've been. <laughs> It's, because it's I'm, I'm the cliff. No, nobody's ever going to say that they want to be the cliff, but I, I'm the cliff in this story. All right. So for listeners right now, if you think your house or apartment might be haunted, or if you know in all rationality that it's not, but you just need peace of mind, you can hire Siskoid to come and tell you, no, you're fine. There's no ghost it's, there. It's easy as this, okay? Put the, put the show on speaker right now so that the house can hear me. Oh, ghost here. There you go. Done. <laughs> it's as easy as that. I can do it remotely. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's not much of an impression of what the show was like. Uh, <laughs> I realized I didn't really answer your question. No, that, um, it's the, no, perfect, though. I, I, do, I was not thinking of that. I really was thinking of a former appearance where you were on the show when we talked about like when the guys were making up a, a man for Carla to date. Right. 
and we said that you know we we understood the spirit of the joke but you know whatever their intentions were the end result it was it was kind of mean so i just thought having another a good carla episode would be nice for you to review well i mean you said it's not about her love life but it's somewhat obliquely about the results of her love life because her kids are growing up there's right they're taking more room they need more room in the apartment <laughs> she needs a new place she's getting my mom went through the whole the, the same thing because at some point maybe i was like in ninth grade she got really sick of being bounced from apartment to apartment because uh where we lived the landlords would very often go oh i'm sorry you gotta go because uh my kid just turned 18 and needs an apartment it was stuff like that so she eventually bought a house where we could have more space because we, at that point, we're all, we're almost all teenagers. You know, I, 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 this is relatable to me, like the crappy little house that, that is still like a palace compared <laughs> to what you had before. I lived through that, you know, uh, totally. But, <laughs> uh, but it's also looking at the, like where we are in the life of the show, where really, I think we, we're seeing a sort of expansion of many things like we're seeing many more sets that are not the bar, uh, right. throwing characters together that are not usually put together, like here, Cliff and, uh, and Carla. So it's like seeing, like, okay, what, what else can we, what atoms can we turn into new molecule? Yeah. And to, to get a set, like, okay, we're going to have Carla has a house now that we're going to have, like, you'd think oh, it's like, okay, are we ever going to revisit this? Well, spoilers, they do re- come back to this house in like oh, four they? episodes. Uh, and and yeah, and occasionally, like in later seasons, they do re- they do return to this house. Um, so yeah, just the fact that we got that is, is pretty is pretty impressive. But yeah, I I just thought like like as you know rewatching this for all the time, I was like, oh yeah, I was like, I don't know if we've had an episode that really focused on Carla's superstitious nature since the one with the fortune telling love tester machine or whatever like that. Um, but that wasn't a Carla focused episode. It was just like her, her paranoia turned into Diane and Sam's paranoia. So getting into, well, going through the notes, then we start off with our teaser, our disconnected teaser. Uh, Norm sees a picture of the Loch Ness monster, which he shows to Woody and Woody's like, wow, it looks just like president Reagan. So it's like other, other picture ready. Um, and Fraser, you know, he says he hopes they never find it so it doesn't have to suffer the indignity of being paraded for a crowd. And, uh, you know, like Woody thinks that would be a great thing to see. And like, it, like he just gets excited at the, even the hypothetical prospect of doing this and bringing everybody as a group to do it. And he starts thinking about making sandwiches. So, um, yeah, he's going. Yeah, he's he's not. He's already committed in his head. <laughs> it went and, from hypothetical to real and it's like, right, in right. his brain. Yeah. Right. And Norm, rather than trying to talk him out of this, is just like, he's like, all right, well, if we're going to indulge this fantasy, get me some sandwiches. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, Make, bring some food for me. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is thematically connected in the sense that uh, the like, you know, a monster, ghosts, hauntings, what do you oh, believe? Oh, yeah, I guess there's that connection. Yeah, yeah there's a little connection there. So yeah. I, I thought there was a lot of little connections like that sometimes when you thought, well, this is just like a throwaway moment. It's something else. But it did connect to the main story uh quite quite nicely i thought sometimes yeah yeah um then there's there's a bit of an awkward moment when we come back from the opening credits you see carla is at the table behind norman she's just cleaning it off like clearing everything and he's kind of turning with his with his back to the bar and he's watching her and it's so that he can start the dialogue of the scene where kind of start the conversation he's going to ask her how her house hunting is going but i don't know if it was like 
something about like Burroughs is directing, like they knew that they were going to be transitioning and they had to wait for the musical cue. But it just seems like Norm is watching her, like staring at her backside for a little bit too long. It's just kind of like, <laughs> I just I just kind of felt like this this awkward moment. I was like, is he looking at her ass? Like what? What's that? like? Is he like he needs to start talking pretty soon? Otherwise, this is just kind of an awkward moment between these two. Especially considering that he goes to her house later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you yeah. Know, anyway, then she, you know, yeah, she goes through the whole thing, and she she tells everybody that she's been saving her money, but she still can't find anything in her price range, and her kids are getting bigger. Like the whole the monologue, and you kind of ex- express this too. Like the whole thing, as the kids get bigger, the apartment gets smaller. Uh, she and she goes, I don't even know what it's like to be alone in the bathroom. And she goes to Sam. She's like, What's it like, Sam? Is it everything people say it is? much more more <laughs> yeah more. yeah he said almost wistfully more more which uh, it's a funny line delivery from sam but considering that he's the one who pays her uh, kind of yeah. well he's still not responsible for her having how many kids you know right it's, uh, right right her right. problem isn't money so much as well it is because she's looking for a bigger place and that's going to cost right. money but uh right. but at the same time you right. know, it's like you made your bed quite literally Right, right. I also, I, I mean, I can't imagine he, he can't afford to pay her much more. Although, who, who the hell knows how many, like, I don't know, the finances of the bar, considering how big, we've, we've gone over this, how big the bar is, how many people might work there. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. She should talk about this at her table so she gets, like, bigger tips. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Start, start crying to get the bigger tips. That's what she does. Yeah. So the, the the recurring subplot, and luckily it's there's not much of it in this episode. But Diane yeah. is still acting like Sam loves her, and he says he's got a date. And well, yeah, she's like, "You're just doing this to punish." He's like, "I'm not dating other women to punish you. That's just one of the perks." And Diane goes through this thing of describing Sam's date, and she says, it, "The IQ of a lamp." a spandex wardrobe and spends all of her time in the gym and then the, the classy one breasts that would provide shade for a small boy <laughs> it's a very strange image to put in someone's mind yeah, yeah. i'm sorry but that's a little and also you know of, of a lamp but <laughs> lamps are you know when you like the light bulb you know, symbol I, means having it i don't know I, i'm not sure that yeah, i know i know they're bright you'd think okay a bright is like the yeah. connotation is somebody of intelligence yeah so it's, it's yeah, odd kind of interesting especially since later she calls herself his light right right you yeah. know so uh i felt like that was his weird speech the, the whole thing with diane doing this uh i know you talked about this on the first episode which has already come out by the time i talked about talking. it in all the episodes since too probably yeah <laughs> uh yeah it's um i don't know if I don't know if you know or if you've already talked about this, but were were the rest of the cast at all resentful about her wanting to leave the show? Um, so I, I, I don't. I don't. It's know really if... not everything I've seen of Ted Danton, da- Danson. Everything I've seen of Ted Danson, he doesn't seem the kind of person at all. He, he seems like a, such a a sweet man. Like he, he's totally opposite in attitude to Sam in real life. So but, I, I don't know. I don't know that they would specifically about her decision to leave, but I do know like just from everything that I've heard, and th- this goes back years and years, she yeah. did not get along with the rest of the cast. Like the okay, rest of the already. cast, very, very much sort of as a mirror of their characters. All of the, the rest of the gang got along. They hung out socially. They would hang out in each other's dressing rooms. They did everything together. She never fit in. And it sounds like part of it was just, 
her personality, her she she kind of thought she was above them. She didn't connect with them. She didn't click with them, and it just it turned into this little bit of resentment where she just wasn't she wasn't friendly with them. She didn't she wasn't part of the group. And I don't know if that was them keeping her out or if her own often it's a, it's a mix. Right, it's a yeah, mix. Her own, her own spunk. She she thought she was better than the show. She thought she could go on to do other things. I and and from everything that I've heard, though, the one person who was a buffer, who kind of as an worked as an intermediary between Shelley Long and the rest of the cast, was Nikki Calasanto, who played right. coach. And once he died, she was kind of left adrift. She didn't have a friend left on the set. Yeah, because um, there's a mirror of that in the like I noticed it this time because she walks in the bar when she makes her entrance. Uh, she says, hi, everyone. And like, Sam's going to answer. Uh, yeah. But no one else. She's like, she's the anti-Norm. Right. You know, it's right. like Norm walks in. Everybody says hi, including her in her own way. Right. And then but when she walks in and addresses everyone, she's completely ignored, except right. for Sam, who has to have the scene with her. So uh, so there's a mirror of that there. And I I kind of felt watching this episode that like usually she's very good. But in this case, like this whole act of whatever she's putting on Sam, she seems to be playing where, where <laughs> usually I felt, I felt her, her comedy and her drama were very natural, uh, even though she plays this like heightened character. Here, I almost felt like she's waiting for, to say the line or she's, she's waiting for the cue. Or, I, I felt that during this episode. And, and I, like this is even before I realized uh, this was the season where all of this stuff is going to happen and she's going to leave. It just felt this whole subplot, plot, subplot didn't sit right or it felt very forced. And even in, in her performances, it feels forced. Not in Sam's, I, I, like not in Ted Dance's. I, I feel like his performance of just like brushing it off and he's always very funny in those moments. But her... Mm. And it might just, I mean, it could be as simple as she just had an off, it was just an off sure. performance. Um, if we want to ascribe an actual explanation to it with some reasoning, I think there are a couple of a couple of possible explanations. And it kind of goes back to something that I have been talking about on previous episodes, but it could, I think part of it is in the writing and the material that she's given in the first chunk of the season it's not that great. And I wonder if part of it is uh, through no fault of their own, but the writers just kind of ran out of stuff to do for the character or that like the, the creative decisions they decided to do with Diane based on the fact that she was going to be leaving at the end of it. Like they thought like this was the next step in the Sam and Diane relationship had to go this way because they had tried everything else or perhaps the writers knowing that their their leading lady was going to be leaving but they didn't want to lose the show perhaps were trying to make her less likable so that she wouldn't be missed as much when she went i <laughs> I, I i don't know Maybe. I, or they just gave up on you know it's like yeah. usually writers will defend certain characters or all the characters right but uh, maybe they gave up on her a little bit you know yeah. um it's like not necessary because this character is not gonna go on or something i don't know it may be very subliminal it may be like you know subconscious it may not even be it may just be my impression of this particular performance you know watched in uh uh, in isolation but uh but yeah i did feel like that that whole i'm not a big fan of the subplot yeah you know 
like no, no, it seems no, like neither. you aren't either. Yeah. No, no, not at all. And it's we have to endure it for for half of the season at least. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, moving on. Cliff comes in and he is excited about his brand new postal route near the airport. Uh, because he thinks this is a hot spot for women. There's like one, there's like one place that's sort of like a house that's shared by a bunch of, um, flight attendants and stewardesses. And he thinks that this is a great place because they watch him from behind the windows, from behind the window curtains, laughing at him the way women tend to do when they fancy a guy. <laughs> Well, no wonder when, you know, like to spoil the, the end, when he gets right. a kiss from Clark Carla, he immediately <laughs> turns into this, you know, like he's got that persona where I'm Mr. Cool and yeah. all the chicks love me. Although right. that's really easy to destroy it, as we've seen in other episodes, right. you just right. throw, the, throw the girl at him for real. And he's like, um, so, talk, yeah. but, but when he like fancies himself. Uh, an attractive person, uh, you know, he goes into this mode and uh, he does so at the end, but it's like, well, yes, Carla is always laughing at you. So you know, there's just a relationship there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so anyway, he has found a house that is in Carla's price range and he shows her off and, and she's not, she's not sure at first, but they mentioned something about her horoscope told her to follow other avenues. And this jives with her other horoscopes that she took along with her tarot reading and what Madame Lavinda told her, her fortune teller. Um, she's got, she has several fortune tellers throughout the city. And I know one is Madame Lazaro. I think this might be the only mention of Madame Lavinda. <laughs> that may be her first name. Yeah, it could, could be the same. <laughs> but a lot of uh, people who go to these things go to several. They may have like a preferred uh, one, but in a big city, you'd have a lot of options. Especially when the when the different fortune tellers meet and have to pretend like they knew that the client was seeing more, right. more than one. So, so you didn't invite me on the show because I used to be a tarot reader. That's not also <laughs> not the reason. Okay. Is there a story behind that one too? Well, I mean, what story can there be? What I, <laughs> I've always been, I was, as a kid, I was interested in the, in, the, in tarot cards. Uh, because we had this magazine in French called Inexplique, Unexplained. And it was all about this, you know, you had you had the Loch Ness Monster and you had like ghost sightings and you had tarot card stuff and UFOs. And, uh, and I got that magazine for, for years. And uh, uh, so I got interested in tarot cards at maybe age 12, got my first deck. No idea how it worked. That deck is like full of alchemy and I still don't know. But uh-huh. when, I, uh, when I was in college, I got the, the Vertigo tarot with all the art by Dave McKean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vertical characters. Uh, and the book by Rachel Pollock uh, that came with it was so well explained. It, like the tarot is a story that goes from zero to, to you know, to each of the cards. Right. It's just a step in the story, shuffle the cards and you get a new story. And once I got, I decoded it, I started using it. Not again, I don't believe in any of this stuff. So I use it as a psychological tool. Huh. So I would read. I would do readings, but I would say to people, you know, I, I see it as a psychological thing. You, you, you're seeing images in the cards, and you're relating it to your life and story. So I'm just a guide, and I and 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 people really responded to it. So I did a lot of it until I had to hide my talent because I couldn't stand it anymore. I didn't want to bring the deck everywhere, but I used that Vertigo deck uh, for for years, and a lot of people and people I didn't know who went, that's so exactly like my life, and I was like. Oh. Okay, if you say so, but also it's just a random draw of images that you decide, you know, you made the links. So I always found it very interesting in that sense. Still not the reason you invited me on the show. 
I, I, I mean, I will say from my part, my I think my only experience with tarot cards is uh, a girl, a classmate of mine in eighth grade did a tarot reading for me, but she did it over the phone. And I don't think if the, <laughs> I don't think whatever power it's supposed to have, I don't think it's supposed to work that way if I don't physically touch the cards. I don't so, think so. I'm pretty sure she was flirting with me and I was kind of oblivious to it, um, which would surprise not anybody yeah. <laughs> with me at eighth grade. I, 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 I have a policy, a personal policy, never to do a reading on someone I fancy. Mm. Because then you're in control of the a, a sort of personal message they're sending to themselves, but you're controlling it, you're guiding it, and you could... I don't know. Either you're going to find out that they don't fancy you or you're going to try to make them fancy you by. And that's just wrong. So I think that sounds like an interesting spin on Inception. And I think we should <laughs> I think we should play with this. <laughs> anyway, Carla comes in. She beaming about her new house. She is you know, it's big enough that her and her older kids get their own rooms. It's got a kitchen, a fireplace. She, she talks about it's got grass that you can mow or lay down naked in. <laughs> I was like, um, and yeah, she and she tells them she bought it. Like she just they she took the or they took her first offer, and everyone's like, really, wow. So, and Sam is kind of like, don't you think there's somebody else that you should thank? And kind of like head nods toward Cliff, and Cliff kind of like is almost kind of like shooing it away, like, no, 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 don't don't put me on the spot here. Don't put me in Carlos Crosshairs for any reason. He's like, he does, even when she's happy, he doesn't want to be at the center of her attention. But she comes back and she's like, she's he's got it back to her and she's like, stop, don't move, don't turn around, don't say anything, look at the floor. And then she just very kind of reluctantly just says, thank you for telling me about the house. And he goes, you're welcome. And she's like, <laughs> instantly returns. She's like, oh, puke, I knew you'd get all mushy on me. Yeah, there's a couple of moments like this where the reaction is, was going to be that no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that's one. And um, uh, around this part, w- when Woody asks what his horoscope is, and Norm, <laughs> like, basically hints that he wants another beer through the, <laughs> a fake horoscope that he's making up. Woody says, oh, those things could, you know. <laughs> they could mean anything. Yeah, yeah they, they're so vague. They could mean anything. It's, and then he walks away. It's like he was always going to say that no matter what. He, like, Woody is very much the person who at some point stops listening, and he's just in his own head. And whatever else happens after that, it's like he's already on a train of thought, derailing very often that train. But So Norm comes in and he, he found out about the history. So he looked into it. It was built on a 17th century prison graveyard where the worst murderers and cutthroats of their time were executed. Over 100 executions. Cisco, this is the point where you can tell us about your history yeah. working in the prison. Is this, is this the reason <laughs> I, was a, I was a 17th century murderer? Right. No. <laughs> No, this is this is not part of my story. Okay, all right. You know, um, of course, I don't believe in those ghosts. Yeah, yeah. That land is fine. Right. Um, <laughs> this is the weird thing to me. This is very much sitcom writing 101 here because it's easier. <laughs> this is pre, pre-internet, basically, you know, pre-Google, everything at this point. And it's somehow easier to find information on the, the, this where this was built and the legends of the graveyard than the actual truth of it's near an airport. So, <laughs> Gosh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, it has to be, you have to do that for it, for there to be the, the I mean, joke Norm, in the story. Norm being, but... an accountant, Norm being an accountant, maybe he could get the tax records and do some 
some digging that way maybe but I, yeah it's just, what is this digging it's it, like cliff has already said it's near the airport it's like okay l- look at the geography is there a runway nearby <laughs> yeah and he's he's walking those streets yeah he's walking and driving those streets so is, is it like the runway if it's right in the backyard right beyond the backyard wouldn't he have seen it you know so he knew about it because later he reveals that information, but he just never clued to the idea, that, to the fact that the house was cheap because of that. So yep. Um, yep. it's just people being stupid, but also pretty, I mean, Norman's a really good researcher. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Um, so when they eventually tell her, and Cliff, of course, he's like, oh, God, because <laughs> he thinks he's going to be targeted for this. So he hides when they actually break the news to Carla. When she And she pulls it off. She's like, oh, I thought you were going to tell me the house had dry rot or something. And she plays it off like it's fine. But then instantly, yeah. as soon as she's away from them out of their earshot, you see like the, the shiver goes over her. And, and we then, had that the last time, you know, the last time we had a, a Carla episode where I, w- I was on to talk about it. There was that same moment where they use the little corridor between the two rooms to show her actual expression. Yeah, yeah. You know, so she she doesn't, like, she plays, like, she's brave. The real coward in, in this section is Sam, because Sam has Diane tell her, <laughs> yeah. you know, that he's yeah. the coward. I, I can get Cliff, because Cliff is kind of his fault. But Sam, like, just doesn't want to tell her the bad news. And but and she plays it off. But when she's in that corridor, that's that's the moment where she's always going to be herself, I guess, when she's her back to the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we come back, then she is. It's been however many days or perhaps weeks. We know like that that like the check is cleared and everything, and the house is hers. But she has been unable to move in because she's so terrified. And Diane thinks, you know, she has to, the confrontation is the key. She has to confront her phobia. And I love Diane's phrasing. If you spent one night, God help you, in that house, you'd see that there's nothing wrong with it and your fears would be licked. I just love the fact that she adds, like, she can't help but, like, consent to her own little fear. If you spend one night, God help you, in that house. And earlier she had uh, that line about uh, angels on your pillow, you know, <laughs> like, like she made a big deal of how she would never live in such a house. She could never sleep in there. Uh, and she's just making it worse, you know. Yep. And then and then when Sam says, you know, gives her a look like, stop it. She says, well, angel on your pillow. And she like Diane is the one that's putting the sort of Christian imagery into <laughs> uh, Carla's head so that then uh, that's what I mean, like little bits that somehow connect to the larger story because then we're going to see Carla walk in with a crucifix, you know, so. with a crucifix, yes. Yeah. yeah. We get a nice little outdoor shot of her in front of the house at first approaching. And this is where I'm reminded. I was like, okay, this is their, their spooky Halloween episode. This is the closest thing. She's going to, and it's a classic thing. You have to spend one night in a haunted house. And then right. ostensibly once you've spent one night there, all you, you've broken the curse and everything is fine. So yeah, she has to go in. And she, you're right. She opens the door and goes in crucifix first, like she's waiting it off and everything. Um, and then Norman Cliff come in they, to spend the night and keep her company, and they brought a pizza. It has anchovies, even though Norm ordered it with anchovies because he's the only one who will eat it. Then those anchovies are really the real horror story here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've never eaten a pizza with anchovies because it's not a topping you can get in Canada at any pizzeria pizzeria that I've been to. I, it's never been an option that I've noticed. I can't so, order it. So you you definitely can in the in the states, but I know it almost almost exclusively as a joke. 
about people joking about pizza with anchovies or without like it's a joke on so many like movies tv shows yeah. and just kind of like recurring things like i know i know you can i just i i've never had a pizza with anchovies i don't know if i know anybody who's ever ordered them that way i mean it's a little salty fish like a sardine yeah, 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 or something yeah. but, but um but i've never seen like like a pizza isn't salty enough um those are very salty but right. so i i i don't know so, but it's the way like the way like you know it's dark in the in the house and this is the way the light catches or the uh, the anchovy <laughs> catches the light yeah. this is oh oh they're oh, really yeah. big in there on there you know yeah it's like full fish yeah. uh so that's to me what well, that's the true horror story of this right yeah they hear a dog barking in the or howling in the distance, and Norm thinks it's the hound from hell. The cliff, of course, being the mailman, is able to. He's like, uh, "No, I'd say that's a Dalmatian, seven or eight years old, definitely neutered." <laughs> he's like, he's, he knows the whole pedigree just by the sound of it. Yeah, and, and then the like they name drop. He name drops a couple of authors, which I thought was an interesting thing. It is a, it's a show that's very illiterate usually, mm-hmm. and uh, mentioned Hemingway and Jack London. These are both writers who wrote about man versus their environment man versus nature really but man versus the environment so i like to think that there's a little nod to what's happening in carla's life right now like it's her versus this house mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so uh, i think it's uh it's a little bit these two writers although they're not people i've widely read because some somewhat of an aversion to uh a lot of American lit during, of that period yeah. um you know it just doesn't interest me too much but um but yeah, I like to think that that's, that was on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then, no, you know, Norm is, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll stay with you guys. And then he gets a phone, there, get a phone call. Sam is like, Hey, Vera wants you home. And he's like, well, you know me, I got to get back to Vera. So the first chance Norm gets to get out of here and they do this whole little bit. And this was almost my home run for the episode is Norm's little bit here is he's leaving and he walks out the door. He comes back and he grabs his beer and they like closes the door and they shout out to him. He's like, Norman, you're driving. It was just like, Hey, actually they're thinking about it. They're being responsible. So he comes in and he slams the beer back down by the door and leaves without it. And then one beat later, he comes back in, puts his keys down and takes the beer. <laughs> so it's, that, yeah. it's like he would rather walk home drinking than drive home without it. So. George Wendt is such a good physical performer. It, the bit yes. actually, the bit actually starts earlier mm. when, when he gets up to leave, he flicks that he has a slice of pizza in his hand and he flicks <laughs> it into that dead fireplace yeah. <laughs> without a thought fling. And that is such like, that's a moment that you missed the first time around. The second time I went, did I just see that? And I, went, I you know, I sort of rewound because it's such a like a great throwaway, literally throwaway moment. And uh, and then he does this whole bit with the with the beer can and the and the keys. And I guess he gets he gets a cat. Now he walks home. I mean, he doesn't have a cell phone. I don't know. So <laughs> I don't know. He's out by the airport. There must be cabs. <laughs> Probably, yeah, you can flag down somebody, but yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, so I, I yeah, he's, he's he's so good in this. Actually, actually, I would probably put money on he flagged a cab back to Cheers. <laughs> yeah, not not home I, at all. I don't I don't think Vera saw him very very early that night. Um, and then sort of so we move into kind of like the last phase of the the episode where we got you know Cliff is turning on the radio and there's some music and he starts talking about. 
dancing going to school dances but he was never like he never was he never went on on dates and everything he was just part of the decorating committee he didn't know how to dance and Carla's gonna make fun of him and he kind of like asks why he's always picking on her or why she's always picking on him and we kind of get a little bit of them just kind of trying to be her her trying to be nice to him just because of the situation he did come here to help and when she when she's still kind of cruel he's like okay well then i guess i'll leave so she but she doesn't want him to leave so she asks him to stay and she says she'll teach him how to dance because he never learned that in school Uh, and it's it's fine it's it's kind of like okay it's a nice little bonding moment we know it's going to be forgotten by the next episode because these two have their relationship locked in um you know this isn't like a a major turning point in the life of carla and and cliff right and Um, again not the reason you invited me on this episode Right. It's, it's, it's not because grandmother and grandfather used to teach ballroom dancing and use me as a the the, the example partner. It's not because of that. Oh, you're okay, tr- good. True Renaissance guest. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then yeah, then they they fall asleep uh, and they wake up on the floor just before dawn, and the spell is broken. She's so happy to be you know uh, to feel free and to feel like the house is welcoming her that she gives him this kiss and he's like hey how long was she waiting exactly yeah it's that same trap where cliff thinks you know of course the the way the flight attendants are laughing out the window because they think he's the man and it's the same thing you know when when he took diane to the postal ball when he knew there was he had no chance with her and he had no expectations but just like the slightest little hint and even an obvious lie that maybe Diane was interested in was enough for him to throw all caution to the wind. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it doesn't take that, but then immediately the house starts shaking and we get this harsh white light flooding through the windows that Carla jumps into Cliff's arms. She's screaming. They're freaking out. And we just hear this roar overhead, which sounds pretty obviously like a plane landing. We actually, he, he's the one who figures it out for her hand and starts calling it out. It's uh, it's not the, he says, it's not the dead coming back to feast on human flesh. It's an L1011 wide body. The sound is very similar. Recognizes, He's very good at recognizing sounds. So and don't he, move to, don't move to, what is it, Meadowview Acres? <laughs> yeah. Anything that's called Meadowview Acres, like that development is suspicious. Right, right. Because they tried to, to put a lot of lipstick on it. I yeah. feel. Although it's not that bad because they only reroute the, the flight if it's foggy. I don't know how foggy it is in Boston on a regular, you know, month or week. Yeah, but uh, like, it's not going to be, wall-to-wall planes you know like they spend a good amount of time in there without a plane yeah right and that is the the big revelation and like and she at first sounds kind of like righteously indignant she's like are you mean to tell me that this house was cheap not because of it's haunted but because it's at the end of the runway and every time it gets foggy their plane's gonna shake the house and and he's like crying he's like yes and she just screams i'm home and it's like uh, i i love that moment at the end and like that that reversal that like you expect her to be so so upset but like the actual explanation which everybody anybody else would be like like oh god don't buy that house but she's like no this is perfect for her this is the yeah. house that carla wants when you look at the type of man that she's attracted to and the, the type of man she gets that she finds appealing then of course this type of house is exactly what you would expect for carla tortelli <laughs> Well, she's got everything she wanted out of it. I, I, I also quite like the moment before that where when she just realizes we spent the night and I'm fine. And now yeah. can you 
can you feel it? The house likes me. Like the whole yep. aura, the whole vibe has changed for her. And it's, uh, it's actually played dramatically, not comically. And, um, and I quite like that moment as well. So where she's like, she's uh, gone through something where, you know, she's beaten, you know, defeated her fears or something. She survived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool moment for her. So yep. yes, I, I'm glad that the plane doesn't destroy that you know, because there <laughs> right. was a victory there. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I really liked that moment. I thought it was a, it was a good, it was a good capper at the end. I'm uh, not, you know, yeah, I, I would spoil, but that, that is probably my home run of the episode. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to think any, any other thoughts before we, before we wrap this one up? No, I think I've uh, revealed enough about my life, <laughs> my past, my history, my dabblings with the occult. <laughs> Do, 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 did you were you ever like working at like uh, at a airport as like a, a runway operator or something like that? <laughs> no, never. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's go through some pro tips. As I mentioned right from the top, it's a little known fact that this was the 100th episode of the series to air. Um, Norm's tab. He, he made quite a dent in this one. He had seven beers. I uh, counted, so that takes him up to 405 for the series. Uh, for the employee of the week, um, it was a Carla episode and I thought she deserved it. I thought she did a great job throughout this episode going from all of her different, uh, from being scared and superstitious to, uh, mopey and depressed at first to ecstatic at the end. I just thought she did a great job. Yeah. Yep. Comedy drama, um, you know, showing different sides to the character, not just the one uh, that she can be reasonable and sweet, even though she's never going to let down that facade she has with Cliff or with the boys, the, you know, the, the barflies. Um, yeah. I totally deserves it. Yeah. Uh, and then the home run, I just think the fact that she actually got the victory at the end, that she got what she wanted, like, like she survived the, the haunted house and the whole ordeal, like to, to start off the episode being so down and depressed that she could never get her own house to now actually feeling at home with this place to just jump up and scream, I'm home. That sense of elation and release, which you need, I mean, at the end of any kind of drama or, or comedy, but especially if you think of this one as a ghost story, horror story or something, that, that sense of release at the end, that emotional catharsis, I think was really, it was, it was a very nice and very touching ending and a, and a nice reward for Carla who doesn't often get those. Um, and then, yeah, my, uh, the, the, the my runner up for the best part would be the whole shtick with Norm when he's leaving the house with taking the beer, then bring the beer and then leaving his keys. And yeah, that was my home, my home run. Uh, in the end, although for a long time I juggled with my uh, runner-up, my runner is a moment we didn't talk about. Which, so I sort of thought, well, maybe it's maybe it's Ryan's home run, and that's why he's not talking about it. Um, it's uh, it's in the subplot actually, <laughs> where uh, Sam is trying to find a a date that isn't a, a dim bulb. The only, and, fit, uh, the only part with Fraser, <laughs> like the, the part with Fraser, yeah, yeah. So I was good say, yeah, he only has like thirty seconds in the episode, yeah. And he, he he totally steals that part of the show because uh, so you know so they say oh Frage do you have a sister he's like he's looking for anyone so do you have a sister so like, no do you have a dress and says, no uh, or what what's the occasion says, what's the occasion you know and and that's not necessarily the, that's not the home run exactly the home run is uh, is, is Frazier like shrugging it off it's like oh wow I oh I knew you were joking right. did you. Did you? Were you ready to put on that dress? 
<laughs> there, that's the, that whole moment where uh, it, I mean, he's so uh, he, you know, he's at once cool, funny, but also you know, there's something I don't know that he's hiding in there. Uh, so I thought that was like a great moment as well, you know, of yeah. of the subplot. That's the best part for sure. Right. Uh, but I, I ended up with George Wendt's whole bit from the pizza throw to the the key drop. That whole thing I thought was very well orchestrated. Yeah. I, I did like the, like get the, the sort of right before the part with Frazier, the, the part of the subplot, because it's after Diane describes whoever Sam's date is with all of the mm-hmm. imagery there. And she mentioned like the spandex wardrobe spends all of her time, in the gym and all these things. And then she goes off and, and you can see that Sam is like, no, you, you don't know anything about me. And then he's obviously bothered because he calls to cancel the date. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I need to see Tiffany. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. Just check one of the aerobics classes or something like that. So showing yeah. that uh, Diane probably had their number pretty well. Yeah, well, I mean, she dated him. Yeah, yeah. And there was all these other women's before, and you know, right. and so yeah, she's got his number. Right. She knows exactly what he likes. Although the breast comment, like I mentioned it before, <laughs> the women that he goes out with on screen uh, do not have big breasts. Right. So right. I don't know where. I mean, she likes to think that that's the case because that's the the portrait of a bimbo. Let's say yeah. in TV speak, that's your shorthand for bimbo. Although there's there's nothing, you know, there, there's no correlation or inverse relation between brains and breasts, obviously. So um, uh, it's just like this is another comment that sort of felt false to me. And yeah. then you put a little boy underneath and it's just like creepy. I don't know, Diane, <laughs> what's happening? Well, the creepy image supports the, the horror theme of the episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before we go, uh, do you want to tell the, the story of when you lived at the Amityville house or something like that? And anything In space. Else? <laughs> in space please don't watch that one uh <laughs> it's not good um yeah no uh, yeah uh, no i never lived in a haunted house as explained they don't exist i don't believe in them uh but the the big haunted house is the iron water podcast network where i do hang my hat and i have a show every tuesday it may or may not be haunted depending on the show i don't have any midnight the podcasting hours <laughs> you know comic books star trek and uh, and, and girls talking about uh, superheroes' crotches. That may be haunted. Hey, the, the one Star Trek episode that I talked about on your show was the uh, the Jack the Ripper in space one. That That's was- true. One moment of horror in <laughs> 56 episodes of Give Me That Star Trek. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. And uh, I'm, I'm sure I will have you back, too. So, uh, And you can tell more, more about your eclectic past and all of your, your history with me. <laughs> All right. Thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on social media and leaving comments on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford from the Right On Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents, who sponsor the show. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast to support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network. Thanks to everyone for listening. And until next time, we're closed. See you in another 100 episodes. All right, Naomi, look. I said we're going to stick it out, and that's exactly what we're going to do, huh? All right, if going gets tough, you can count on Norm Peterson. Oh, oh, Sam. Vera called. She wants you to come home. Yep, I'm out of here. <laughs> Norm. Norm, come on. I mean, since when are you in such a rush to get home to Vera? Since you moved in over a graveyard, right? <laughs>